Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. Let's listen to Bishop Robert Barron's spiritual interpretation of Mary learning that she would conceive and bear a son through a virgin birth and become the mother of Jesus. One day, in a hovel, in this little nothing town of Nazareth, an angel appeared to a young Israelite girl, perhaps no more than 14 or 15, and they had a rather extraordinary conversation. This woman is, after Jesus himself, the most depicted figure in the history of Christian art. This woman has beguiled the imaginations of our most gifted poets, from Dante to T.S. Eliot. To this woman, millions come, bearing the burdens of their hearts, for they believe her to be their mother. The angel said to her, Ave Maria. Rejoice, O highly favored daughter, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. As is invariably the case with those to whom angels make their appearance, Mary was afraid. Don't be afraid, the angel said. You shall conceive and bear a son, and give him the name Jesus. When she wonders how this will be possible, since she's had no sexual experience, the angel explains, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the holy offspring will be called Son of God. And Mary responded, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And with that, the angel left her. What we see here is that Mary is the new Israel. In the Old Testament, many people, when summoned, would run away from God, resisting his word. Now Mary does what God asks. In some ways, the essence of the biblical drama is distilled in that encounter. We see the nature of God on display in the graceful, nonviolent manner of invitation. In story after story from the mythological tradition, when the gods intervene in human affairs, they do so violently, interruptively, in the manner of a rape. Whatever the opposite of rape is, it's on display in this story. Mary is invited even, dare I say it, courted by God's messenger. Her freedom, her dignity are respected, and her curiosity is encouraged. And we see a human being in full in the person of Mary. The church fathers were eager to contrast Mary, the mother of God, and Eve, the mother of all the living. At the decisive moment, Eve took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, succumbing to the temptation to seize godliness. Why had God forbidden the eating of that fruit? Because he was jealous of human flourishing? Hardly. That, in fact, is precisely the suggestion of the serpent, the father of lies. And this is Mary, declaring herself the handmaid of the Lord, and allowing herself to become the mother of God, though she barely glimpsed the full implications of what this would mean. Her obedience reversed the disobedience of Eve. Hence the medievals imagined the Ave, A-V-E, of the angel, reversing Ava. Theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar says that all of the forms of the church's life spring from the Marian form, this acquiescence to the will of God, 
this attitude of fiat, let it be done to me according to your word. There's an explosion of interest in Mary in the West because of St. Bernard, go back to the 12th century. And in the wake of Bernard, all the great cathedrals. Why is it, some say, because Europe was becoming more civilized, more gentle, so this feminine dimension was coming in. But, you know, Mary's been there from the beginning. She's there in the scriptures. Church fathers are very interested in Mary as the new Eve. So she's always been there. I think it's just the very fact that Mary is the mother of God. That always struck people as utterly fascinating, that God would become so humble so as to have a human mother. And if he has a mother, then he has cousins, and he has a grandmother and a grandfather. I think it's a way of emphasizing the reality and density of the incarnation. God really becomes flesh. And then Mary's associated with mercy and gentleness, and she's our advocate. She's the advocate of the human race. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Mary is a pivotal figure in the history of salvation, for she's a bridge between the Old Testament and the New. I know of no other sacred building that better exemplifies the connection between the Old and New Covenants than the Cathedral of Chartres, dedicated to Notre Dame, Our Lady. But dedication doesn't capture the full meaning of it. Consult the wonderful book of Henry Adams called Mont Saint-Michel and Chartres, to grasp that the medieval saw a building like this not only is dedicated to Mary, not only is Mary's dwelling place, but as a representation of Mary's body. The apse of the cathedral corresponds to Mary's head, the transept to her arms, and the nave to her body. The labyrinth, a winding path inscribed within a circle, is located about two-thirds of the way down the nave, at the level of the womb. The West Rose Window of Chartres Cathedral, one of the most magnificent in the world. It's the same size and circumference as the labyrinth on the floor of the cathedral. When the light is right, the colors of that window shine down perfectly on the labyrinth. And so it speaks of the incarnation, of the impregnation of the womb of the Virgin by heavenly light. And this association allows us to see more deeply into another aspect of the mystery of Mary. Mary is Zion. She is Israel. She sums up the great figures of this holy people whom God had prepared over many centuries to receive his word. She is a daughter of Abraham, the first one to listen to God in faith. She's like Sarah, Hannah, and the mother of Samson since she gives birth against all expectations. 
She's like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, the great prophets who longed for the coming of the Messiah. She is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant and the Temple, since she becomes, in the most realistic way possible, the bearer of the Divine Word. She's like the author of the Psalms and the books of wisdom and Proverbs, for she, as St. Luke puts it, reflects on these things in her heart. Mary is Israel at its best, faithful, patient, attentive to God's Word, and quick to respond to the divine promptings. How interesting that the word haste is used in connection with Mary. St. Luke tells us that after the Annunciation, she proceeded in haste into the hill country. Israel was often slow in responding to God. Mary moves. At the wedding feast of Cana, Mary turns to the servants and says, In the cadences of every prophet, teacher, and patriarch of Israel. And these are her last recorded words in the Gospels. Do whatever he tells you. Well, I think there's a danger within Catholic piety to express Mary in a kind of an overly boying, sentimental way. Because she's not really a sentimental figure in the Bible. Mary receives this message. She's a canny young woman I mean, who asks the angel this sort of provocative question. Well, how is this possible? And her integrity and intelligence are respected. And then she knows what to do. She proceeded in haste to the hill country to visit her cousin. And then she moves through the history of salvation with this kind of courage and simplicity. So she's not really a sentimental figure. She's a strong biblical figure. She's the new Israel who follows the divine word. So maybe that would be a danger as we over-sentimentalize Mary. She's the model disciple. Augustine said that. She's the first disciple. And so she's the model for all of us. As he was dying on the cross, Jesus looked to his mother and to the disciple whom he loved. And he said to Mary, Woman, here is your son. And then to John, Here is your mother. We are told that from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. This text supports an ancient tradition that the Apostle John would have taken Mary with him when he traveled to Ephesus in Asia Minor and that both ended their days in that city. Indeed, on the top of a high hill overlooking the Aegean Sea, just outside of Ephesus, there's a modest dwelling that tradition holds to be the House of Mary. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. 
Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.